Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. I love doing this. It's a new little liturgy for us through this season of praying the Lord's Prayer together. And we're in the middle of a series called Teach Us to Pray. Uh, And we are just line by line through the Lord's Prayer. And today I'm going to throw you a little bit, right? We're only a few lines in. We've got the teachers to pray bit and our Father in heaven. That's as far as we've gotten so far. So obviously today should be hallowed be thy name. Well, it's not going to be, okay? We're just jumping a line ahead and then next week we're going back. It's not that we think Jesus got the ordering wrong. It's just purely practically that uh, you don't want to have to listen to me every single week. So uh, Susan Ellsmore will be here next Sunday talking on uh, hallowed be the name, speaking honor and praise to the name of God. And, uh, but I'm going to jump ahead today and preach to us on the line in the Lord's Prayer where Jesus teaches us to pray and he says, pray this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is one of my favorite lines in the whole of the Lord's Prayer. Not that it, anything else isn't good. There's just something powerful about this invitation from Jesus to pray this prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you are familiar with the Bible or if you've just started reading the scriptures right from the very beginning and especially through the life and ministry of Jesus, you come across this concept of the kingdom of God regularly. Now we live in an age and a time where the concept of kingdom is probably partly familiar to us but we don't understand the full implication of what it means to live in the kingdom of anyone, let alone the kingdom of God. Like we, we have a monarchy uh, in our commonwealth. And, you know, in some ways, though, we don't all feel like we bow our knee to every women demand of the monarchy, do we? But when we speak of the kingdom of God, what does it actually mean? I want to give you a really simple definition that's going to help you understand as we talk about Jesus' invitation to pray, your kingdom come, what it actually means. And it simply means this. The kingdom of God is the place where the rule and the reign of God is everything. It's the place where the rule, and the, in, in other words, let me even go a layer down. The kingdom of God is the place where God is in charge. And his will and his way permeates everything. We think of kingdoms as defined by physical boundaries. The kingdom of God isn't defined by physical boundaries. It's defined by anything that comes under the sovereign rule and reign of King Jesus. So when he says to us, pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The prayer is, God, may your will, may your way, may your rule, may your reign come and be present in our midst. Just as all of heaven right now sits under the sovereign authority of God himself, our invitation is that we ask for heaven to invade earth. That is the prayer that Jesus invites us to pray. Let me just give you a little snapshot. We could do a whole series on the kingdom of God. It's one of the greatest things for us to speak into, and it permeates all of Scripture. But let me give you four key marker points that are going to help us in our discussion today. Let me go right back to the very beginning of Scripture and the book of Genesis, because Genesis essentially is a picture of what it looks like to live under the rule and the reign of God. All things created by Him, all things in unity, all things living harmoniously, all things that are subject to the will and the way of God the creator 
And, and Genesis 1 paints a very poetic and beautiful picture of what the kingdom looks like, what things look like when they're submitted to the rule and reign of God. And people are living in harmony with each other. People are living in harmony with God. All of creation makes sense. It knits together well. And God spoke everything into being and stood back and said, when I observe all that my hand has created, it is really good. It's really good. But there was a special designation for people in the kingdom. And if you read the early account of Genesis, it says that God created people in his image. We bear the image of the creator and he placed us in his good creation as managers and stewards of all that he created. He says to the, to the first humans, Adam and Eve, he says, I'm going to place you in this place to cultivate it, to, to look after it, to manage it. The, the word is subdue, but it's not subdue in a, a sense that we might put a negative connotation on. But essentially, God gives a spe special designation to say, all of this lives under my sovereign rule and reign, and you play a special role in stewarding all that has been created. You have been created in my, you bear the image of the creator. So Genesis gives us a picture, even though very brief, of what it looks like when God's in charge. Well, the story quickly turns into a pretty bad kind of messy thing because we talk about all the things that happen in that account of what the Bible talks about, the fall or, or the rebellion of mankind. But ultimately, the decision of humanity was, well, that's a good idea, God, but we actually think that we've got this on our own. We don't need to submit ourselves to your rule and your reign. We actually want to reject you as the king and the steward of this, and we want to take this on ourselves. And that original sin of actually placing ourselves and rejecting, placing ourselves in a place of ultimate authority and rejecting the things of God is actually the primary sin that most of us still wrestle with. Because the invitation we all have is to submit ourselves to the things of God, which means that you're not in charge anymore. You know, when you're invited to put your faith in Jesus, it's an invitation of surrender and submission, of saying, okay, God, I've tried to take this on myself and I've mucked it up and so I'm going to choose to surrender my will and my way to you and come back under your rule and your reign again. But humanity decided that we didn't need God's rule and reign. We took it upon ourselves and it, it jumps very quickly into the mess that's created out of that. After that picture in the, in the garden where Adam and Eve decide to do the one thing that God asked them not to do, we then move into a really messy but brief history of violence and murder and aggression and broken families and all the things that we look back on the history of mankind and many of us just have to look at our brief history to know that that story is written through our life as well. You see, as soon as we rejected God's rule and reign, things were subject to decay, things were subject to the consequence of us deciding we didn't need the creator God in the picture any longer and we were going to do things our own way. See, we still live in a time where people reject the things of God. We think that God's outdated or old-fashioned or we don't need his way anymore, so we're going to do it our way because our way is better. And a whole bunch of us, myself included, have made that decision at regular intervals in our life that we've decided that God's way in relationships is a bit old-fashioned. We're going to do things our way. God's rules around sex are old-fashioned. We're going to do things our way. God's rules around, you know, honesty are, are just, we're going to do things our way, around greed, 
or around relationships with others or around what it means to be generous or what it means to show justice or what it means to care for the poor. You know, we just decided that we don't need God's rule and reign in our life anymore, that we were going to do things our way. And then the scripture from the very beginning paints the picture of what happens when people like you and I decide that we don't need God or if we need him, we don't need him as king, we need him as companion. If God is your companion, you've missed the point of the invitation he gives you. He never wants to be your companion on the journey. He needs to be your king. He, he needs to be the one who has ultimate rule and reign over you. If God's just your get-out-of-jail-free card, you've missed the point about what it means to submit to his rule. If God is just the one that you call on when you realize that you've messed it up enough that you can't look after it yourself anymore, you've missed the point about what it means to submit to the rule and reign of King Jesus. So from the mess, things got pretty messy. Actually, in the early parts of the scripture, it says that God looked upon his creation and grieved so much and thought, why did I create people at all? Maybe I just give up this whole thing and either start again or do something different. But the scriptures tell us that he found in one person just a glimmer of faith, a man by the name of Noah, and God in his grace decided not to give up on his creation, but actually to launch a rescue mission to redeem the mess and the brokenness that we all find ourselves in. And so fast forward now to the third of the four kind of marker points that I want to talk about, and that is Jesus. You know, if you, if you go through the Gospels, especially the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you'll find very, very early in the account of Jesus that some of the very first words that come out of his mouth are words of kingdom. He says this in, in Matthew chapter 3. He says, repent. In other words, turn from doing things your own way and turn to me, for the kingdom of God has come near. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven. Matthew uses this term kingdom of heaven, right? Just a little bit of biblical understanding to help you as you're reading the scriptures. Matthew uses the word kingdom of heaven and most of the other gospel writers use the term kingdom of God. They're interchangeable, one and the same thing. Don't get confused about it. Don't think Matthew's talking about, you know, some far off place in the stars with golden streets and endless harp worship. We're not talking about that. Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven are the same thing in the scriptures. And, and Jesus says... Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Mark says the same thing. It's right in the very first chapter. Mark 1, verse 15. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. What is the good news? The good news is that in Jesus, the kingdom of God has broken back in. The kingdom of God has come. When Jesus says the kingdom of God is near, he's not saying, hold out, it's on its way. Actually, Jesus in himself says, in my person, in me, God incarnate, come the flesh and bones of God in your place. The kingdom has arrived. So in Jesus, the kingdom of God comes. But here's now like just a little brain massage. You're going to need this just to stick with me for this little bit, right? A little bit of theology that's going to help the rest of my message. There is a time, the first three steps have happened. Creation fall, Jesus, kingdom come near. There is a time that is yet to come. It's talked about in the book of Revelation, the last book of the scriptures. You really need to do a good brain massage before you open it up and read it, right? It's not an easy book to read, and uh, lots of people interpret it different ways. But one thing's very, very clear, that God brings the whole story full circle. 
And the God's original intent found in Genesis 1 and 2 is actually God's final intent found in the latter chapters of the book of Revelation. That God, again, brings all things under his rule and reign. If you've sat in many worship services at church, you've probably heard people talking about one day every knee will bow. That is actually the picture of Revelation, that one day God will be all in all, that his rule and reign will be everything. And those that choose to submit to it will live in the way and in the world that God always intended. The picture of Revelation isn't a picture of us evacuating to some far-off place called heaven. Revelation actually says that God's intent is to bring heaven and earth back together. The reality of heaven and the reality of earth back together. The place where Jesus is king and every knee bows and we all are submitted to the rule and the reign of God. It's an incredible picture. But there's this thing now that we live in between these last two things, the time of Jesus and the time that is to come. See, the kingdom of God has broken through with Jesus, but the kingdom of God is yet to come in all of its fullness. If you read theological textbooks, they often put it in this language. We live in the now but not yet time. Or we live in the time where the kingdom's been inaugurated, but it's yet to be fully consummated. In other words, we live in this time of in-betweenness, this time of tension. And so that is this narrative. The kingdom of God is a narrative that plays right through the entire breadth of the scripture. It's the place that it started and it's the place that will finish. And it's the place that right now gives us as God's people a vocation. Because Jesus says in this intervening time, the prayer I want you to pray as my people is this. May your kingdom come and will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, let the ministry and the power of God come to bear on earth as right now it is in heaven where God is all in all. And Jesus himself showed what it looked like. It was the intervening place of brokenness finding wholeness, of sickness finding healing, of the poor in spirit and the broken and the marginalized finding hope and support and care and compassion. That is the prayer of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You might want to ask the question, what is the kingdom like? Because it's one thing to say, I've got a good story for you. One day, God will be all in all. We will all live under the rule and reign of God. But you might just think to yourself, man, that does not sound awesome. But the Bible right through paints a snapshot of what the kingdom is like. And here's some of the pictures the scripture uses around the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, justice rules. In the kingdom of God, there is hope and help for the poor and the broken and the marginalized and the lost. In the kingdom of God, there is peace. In the kingdom of God, there is plenty. In the kingdom of God, there is joy, there is kindness. In the kingdom of God, every tear is wiped from the eyes of those that are broken and sad. See, the kingdom of God is a really compelling place to be. Jesus actually tells a story. He, he paints some pictures about what the kingdom is like. He uses these little snapshots that don't quite tell us but give us enough of an idea. He says in Matthew 13 verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again and then his joy went and sold all he had and brought that field. In other words, Jesus said, it's like you go and check out a house that you want to buy, get into the housing market and it, you know it's a reasonable price and it's going to cost you a bit but as you're kicking around the garden, you knock the top off a rock and you find a massive gold nugget that's embedded in the ground. 
Well, you just quickly cover it up with dirt and you race off and you bring your parents and you ring the bank and you ring your friends and you ring your family and you sell your car because you know if you inherit that place that the gift and the riches of what is to come is much greater than what you've ever imagined. That's what Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like when you discover it, it is much more beautiful, it is much richer, it is much more powerful and much more compelling than anything you can ever imagine. That is what the kingdom is like. And so Jesus says this, I want you to pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because right now we live in the now but not yet. Talk about that in your life groups. I hear there was some really good discussion in life groups in this last week as we've jumped into the prayer series. The thing you can talk about is what does it look like to live in the now but not yet of the kingdom of God, the inaugurated but yet to be fully consummated season that is the kingdom of God. Life group leaders, there is a gift. There's an hour and a half of study time and you're on to coffee. But I want to talk to us for a moment about the invitation to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so with that context in mind, let's just jump in So what's a lengthy scripture this morning, okay? It's a great story though, and I want you to stick with it because there's a lot in it that's going to help us. It comes from Acts chapter 12, and I'm going to read the first 24 verses. Just to give you some Bible context, you might be new to reading the Bible. Uh, Four authors write the story of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all from different perspectives and different angles. But the first book after that is the book of Acts. Often in your Bible, it's titled The Acts of the Apostles. In other words, those that were around Jesus, the disciples around Jesus, after his resurrection and ascension to heaven, it tells the story, essentially, of the birth of the early church. And so I want to read this scripture, and it's going to give us a picture of the invitation to pray, your kingdom come. So it was about the time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that this met with approval among the Jews... He proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread or the Passover festival. After arresting Peter, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. And Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison. But listen to this and hold on to this. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him. Get up quick, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Doesn't seem like a lot of rush, does it? Get up, get dressed, freshen your face, have a bite to eat. So Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision, and they passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. And when they walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him, and then Peter came to himself and said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where Mary people, many people had gathered and were praying. And Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she rang back without answering it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. 
You're out of your mind, they told her. And when she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. And Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. And in the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. And after Herod had had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He'd been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. And on the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robe, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. And they shouted, this is the voice of a God, not a man. And immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Now, I didn't add that last bit just for the effect, right? We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But, but a long, long story, right? But pretty cool story, right? James is arrested. Herod kills James. Sees that there's some people that are supportive of his policy of knocking the church down. So goes and gets one of the big wigs, Peter, and drags him to prison. And so the church gathers to pray. And this is just answering a question for my life group. Yes, there are times when people should get together and pray. Because they all wanted to focus on the go to your room and pray in silent. You don't have to pray out loud. Well, guess what, guys? We're praying out loud in group this week. <laughs> because the, the church came together to pray because there was something coming against them. In the background of their time of prayer, guess what? God is doing something sovereign and amazing. Like chains are falling off wrists, gates are opening, guards are asleep. Peter wakes up, takes his good time, doesn't even realise it's happening. There's no rush. He just thinks he's having a cool dream about God doing something cool that he hopes comes true one day. And then all of a sudden finds himself on the street and goes, whew, that was real. I I, that happens to me at night sometimes too. It probably happens to you. You know when you kind of wake up the next morning and you go, I'll say to Chrissy, did we have three children come into our room last night? Husbands, that is a bad thing to say because the answer is usually yes and I just fell back asleep. But you have those moments. Peter had one of those moments in the middle of the night where he doesn't even realize it's happening. And then it all plays out and God does a miracle with the background of the church praying. What's this got to do with the prayer? Jesus invites us to pray. Your kingdom come, you will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me just give you three things to consider this morning. I want to say this first, the kingdom come prayer is acknowledging God's power and submitting to God's will. The most encouraging thing about this passage is that the prayer meeting of the early church looks very much like the prayer meeting of the 2021 church here at Ormo, right? And, and let's, let's be honest about this. Sometimes we pray big prayers expecting that God is big and powerful, yet we don't always expect that it's going to come to bear. Now, let me just take you back into the passage for a minute. It says that the church gathers to pray, and while they're praying, guess what? God does something amazing. Have you ever prayed and then found out that God moved in the midst of your prayer, and you've got to pinch yourself and go, really? R really? Well, that's exactly what happened for the... I mean, the early church had seen some pretty cool stuff, right? But they're gathered together, and they're praying fervently and passionately, and they're believing that God's going to do a miracle, and God moves and does a miracle, 
And Peter walks out of prison and turns up to the prayer meeting and knocks on the door. And someone races over to get the door and hears his voice and races back in and says, guess what? Peter's here. Listen to the response of the prayers. You are out of your mind. But when she kept insisting, they said, well, it's got to be his angel then. I mean, they're praying for God to do a miracle. God does the miracle, but they don't believe in the miracle that they're praying for. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. You know, when we pray kingdom come prayers, we're actually praying into a space that actually demands God, not demands as in, I demand you, but but the only way that this prayer can be answered is God does what only God can do. But Jesus invites us to pray that, God, this is something only you can do. No circumstances of life, no twist of fate, No coincidence could make this happen. But when we join together and we pray your kingdom come in this situation, Jesus, the only way that that can be affected is if God moves supernaturally. And in this particular instance, God moves powerfully and supernaturally. You see, when we pray your kingdom come, we invite the power of God, the sovereignty of God, the supernatural investment of God to come into our circumstances and do what only he can do. There's nothing we do to twist his arm or manipulate him. We don't kind of pray in a way that that convinces God that we've got the right rhetoric or the right... We talked about that last week. It's not about our tone or our words. But when we join together and say, God, in this intervening time, this now but not yet time, your kingdom come, your will be done, we invite God's power to come to bear on earth as it is in heaven. But at the same time that we pray, your kingdom come, Jesus also invites us to pray, your will be done. You see, this could be a whole series in itself, and I'm not going to do justice to us this morning. So I apologize for those that walk into this series with this as the greatest question around prayer. But in praying your kingdom come, we also pray your will be done, which says, God, we have a desire in our heart to see you move but your will be done. The thing that I reckon we can lose in this story is that Peter's story comes out the back of James's story. And we don't get the full context about James's story, but we get enough of a picture of the early church to suggest that when they take James off, that they gathered in prayer as well and started to petition God to move powerfully and sovereignly. All we know is that James is actually killed with the sword. James is martyred because of his faith and his belief in Jesus. That's not the outcome to the story that James would have wanted, that his family would have wanted, that those near and dear to him would have wanted. And I have no doubt that the church gathered together and prayed that God would move sovereignly in the story of James. They also gathered and prayed that God would move sovereignly in the power of the story of Peter. And James is martyred and Peter is set free. You know, we don't always know why God chooses to act and move in certain circumstances, but Jesus invites us to pray, your kingdom come and your will be done. And the prayer, your will be done, is a very personal prayer. Jesus himself prays and petitions God the Father for a change in circumstances. In the Garden of Gethsemane, with the horror of crucifixion in his gaze, Jesus falls on his knees and says, if you can take this from me, take it. But your will be done. And Jesus walked from that garden to the horrors of the cross. 
Now, prayer doesn't always make sense. God's answer doesn't always make sense. God's timing doesn't always make sense. But as we live in this tension of the age that has come, but is yet to come, we pray in full knowledge that the kingdom of God is broken in, but one day the kingdom of God will be all in all. And one day your prayer for healing and for wholeness and for redemption and for restoration will be found complete in the coming consummation of God's kingdom. So when we pray kingdom come prayer, we acknowledge God's power, but we submit to his will. Secondly, we confront the evil in this world, but pray in hope for the age to come. The back mark of this whole story is a man by the name of Herod, ruler of the day. Herod, a man of great power, of great intent, of great authority. And Herod's playing out his power by persecuting the church. James is martyred, Peter's in prison. Yet the story has an interesting turn at the end, and that's why I read it. I'm not going back to this for effect or to kind of turn your stomach. But the story of Peter's miraculous escape from prison and the power of Herod finishes with Herod being struck down, killed and eaten by worms. Not a pretty picture, but listen to what follows that. Verse 23, immediately because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. You see, right now it might feel like the church that used to sit more in the center of society, the church that used to have values that were aligned to a greater majority of society has now been moved to the fringe and people are like, you know, it's on its way out. It has no power. It has no authority. But you know what history proves? That God outlives and outlasts any ruler, power or authority that works against him. And in the day, as their friends were getting martyred, they will look to Herod as this great stumbling block for the future of the church and for the proclamation of the gospel and for the power of God going forth. And as they grieved the loss of their friends and as they grieved the martyrdom of James and as they looked at, you know, Christians that history tells us were being burned in garden parties and were being thrown in prison and were being crucified because they declared the name of Jesus, guess what? The kingdom of God continues to move and to flourish and the Herods of this world come to their end. And no matter what comes against you or comes against us, God will continue to move forward to that glorious day where every knee will bow because he will be all in all again. And people are going to continue to reject the rule and the reign, the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God is not a force that will ever be overcome or, or overdone or overthrown by any human power. When Jesus defeated the powers and authorities of this world by walking free from the grave, free from the clutches of death, the last enemy the Bible tells us was defeated. And no Herod in this world, no Herod in your world will ever stop the movement of the things of God. So when Jesus says, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, we stand in the place of confronting the evil of the world with the hope of the age that is to come. And finally, let me say this, we stand in a place of intercession between the now and the not yet. I quote this guy a lot. I won't apologize for it. One of my favorite New Testament theologians, Tom Wright, says this. Prayer is the place where heaven and earth overlap. 
Prayer is a place where our own present time and God's future time overlap. A person who prays stands with one foot in the place of trouble, sickness, and sin, and the other foot in the place of healing, forgiveness, and hope. So when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we embrace the tension of the now but not yet. That in Jesus, the kingdom has come. But when Jesus returns, it will be in all things. The rule and reign of God will come to full completion where every knee will bow and all things will make sense again. And all the brokenness and the pain will be restored and recreated in new creation. It's an incredible picture. But right now we're invited not to pray with false hope. We're prayed to plead God to bring the kingdom of heaven, the rule and the reign of heaven, the rule and the reign and the power of God to bear on earth right now. Church, we have a job to do to stand in the gap and to plead for the kingdom to break through. It's why we're invited to continue to pray for healing. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It's why we pray for broken families. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It's why we pray for young people that are making stupid decisions to to fill themselves with substances that just numb the ache that they have inside. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It's why that we should be on our knees, not just praying that Jesus makes our life a little bit better tomorrow or gives us a bit of extra money for the groceries or allows us to do the holiday, but get on our knees before God and say, this world is messed up, it's broken, because we decided we didn't need you in it. But now we as your church are going to stand in the gap and we're going to intercede and we're going to pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is heaven I'm going to invite this morning to write a your kingdom come prayer and on all the seats I think rolling around everyone get a prayer card this morning can you wave it at me did it happen yes you got a prayer card you might want to use that you might want to take it home you don't have to participate in this but we're starting to gather every Wednesday over lunch as a staff team and anyone else that wants to join us to pray for our church family and you might just have a prayer right now in your heart that says right now I'm sitting in the tension of the now but the not yet on I'm, I'm carrying the brokenness the hurt the pain the uncertainty the injustice of something and I want to just bring it to the foot of King Jesus and ask your kingdom come your will be done you might want to write that on that card hang it on your fridge and pray it every day you might want to write it on your card and if you'd like before you leave today and you put it on this barrel we'll put it on the table when we gather as a church in prayer and we'll pray it with you you might want to write it and take a photo so you got a copy and then You invite others into that place of prayer. And it might be a prayer for your family. It might be a prayer for one of your kids. It might be a prayer for your marriage. It might be a prayer for your neighbor. It might be a prayer for something that's broken or lost or needs the redemption of the kingdom to come. Church, let's not just pray nice, make my life better prayers. Let's stand in the place of interceding for a lost and a broken world that has no idea just how good the kingdom is. How good it is when we submit ourselves to the rule and the reign of Jesus. Hey, I want to give you a a picture of what a kingdom come prayer might look like. So earlier this week, I was talking to Deb about this message and I said, Deb, why don't you script the prayer for us? You, over the last 12 months in this time of COVID, have stood with one foot in the brokenness of people and one stood in the hope of Jesus. Thousands of food parcels that Deb's helped her team pass out to 
people in our community doing it really tough and every week Deb in her role working for Gateway Care gets to stand in the mess and the brokenness of people. So I said, Deb, I reckon you've got a great kingdom come prayer. So I invited Deb to script something and it might be the prompt for your prayer. Would you give Deb a hand as she comes to join me this morning? She's going to pray for us. And I reckon as we want to join in this prayer, we should all jump to our feet. So this is us together in chorus saying, okay, Lord Jesus, your kingdom come and your will be done. Lead us in prayer, Deb. Father God, my prayer is that we will be a church that shows compassion for the hurting, the poor, the sick and the broken, just as you did and you continue to do. Father, you are the God who sees. I pray that we will see people as you do, forgiven, loved and whole. I pray the grace that you have shown us will so grip our hearts that we cannot ignore the call to be your hands and feet in our community, our nation and our world. I pray that we will be a church that radiates your light of hope, healing and restoration and that we will continue to stand in the gap, I love that, through prayer to see this become a reality. God, you love us so much. Your heart breaks Lord, you see us, Lord Father God, not as broken, but you see us as whole. And Lord, I just pray that this church here in all my Lord Father God will be your hands and feet. Lord, break our hearts for what breaks yours. And may we see people come through these doors like never before because they see you. They see you when they come into this place, Lord Father God. They see the love. They see the hope. They see the acceptance. They see the forgiveness. Lord, I thank you, Father God, for what you have done for us. And may we never lose sight of your grace that you have poured upon us, Lord, and you continue to pour upon us moment by moment. You are such an incredibly good God. Thank you, Father God. Amen. Why don't you pray those lines from that prayer with me, just as we say amen together. Come on, your kingdom come. Ready? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Awesome. Hey, you, you might right now want to write your own kingdom come prayer. If you want to take a seat and do that, you can. You might just take it home and do it through the week. Do it. Pray the prayer like the dead prayed today. What is it that you just want to stand in the gap and intercede for the brokenness of the world in which you see, which you experience, in which you live, and call the kingdom of God to break through in all its fullness? We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.